And why I talk so much about ego is during my 28 years of policing, I can almost pinpoint all issues, most issues of discipline or resistance to anything, whether that's training, whether that's disciplinary matters to either self-esteem or ego. And I've worked very hard on my own and starting with me, I was a very arrogant young captain 10 years ago in my first police department. And I went to counseling and it changed my life that, and having some good mentors that kind of gave me some great advice, great guidance, and then a lot of internal looking within myself to change. I don't win the battle of ego every day, but I win it about 85% of the time. And I'm good with that. And now I go and when we're dealing with our officers or we're dealing with different people in the community, we're almost saying, hey, there's an ego we have to deal with. How do we go about dealing with that person? And if you're secure in who you are, you can maneuver those waters pretty well. And I'm very happy that I've been given that self-awareness and I worked at it and now I have it there and I push that out to my people and we discuss that a lot. And that makes the disciplinary process, the internal disciplinary process, a lot less combative or adversarial. Our philosophy here is we see that, how can we help you? How can we help you work past these self-esteem issues and egos issues as we move forward to build you into a great police officer, a great sergeant, a great detective, a great lieutenant, or a great leader. And one thing with culture that I didn't say before is I care about my guys. I care about them tremendously. I love them because they've bought into my philosophies, my crazy philosophies that seem to work. They trust me and I try to take care of them the best way I can by making sure that I'm the best chief possible for them. Although technology may seem like a strange way to begin a conversation about community safety, I begin here today because it keeps coming up in my conversations, and I think listeners will be interested to learn the intersections of technology with community trust, transparency, and accountability. My work in exploring community safety informs me that it has to be a shared endeavor, a partnership, if you will, between community, police, and their elected officials. This first episode in our series about community safety gives us a sense of how that can look. Jeffrey Stonehill is only the third manager in the history of Chambersburg Borough. This fact speaks to a history and culture that is serious about good governance. If you dig back into the archives of PCC Local Time, you will see the first published episode was with Jeffrey Stonehill, and there you can learn more about him and his style of management. I have been in conversation with Chief Ron Camacho for a few years now and admire his work and efforts towards creating a policing culture that values leadership, relationship, education, and training, and no service too small. Just this month, Chief Camacho completed his doctorate, and you will hear in this episode why he encourages his officers to keep learning. Both Jeffrey and Chief Camacho are unique leaders. By that, I mean they are defining the future by the choices they make every day. Another way to say this is that they are making decisions based on their understanding of a desired future. For example, the conversation we have about mental health reflects their understanding that a healthy government mirrors back into the community. And that is, after all, at the heart of community safety. 
And so we begin. I ask both of them about the role that technology plays in shaping community perceptions and feelings of safety. Chief Camacho starts us off. It's definitely a force multiplier. Yeah. It makes the life of our officers a lot easier. And it also sets up an expectation within the community. So we use technology extensively. The borough has been very good with funding our technology needs. And definitely that technology has changed policing uh, across the United States. Um, whether it's something as simple as registration with ring cameras or as technical as our camera system with our license plate readers, it's definitely the way to go moving forward. And, it, and if you're not using technology to its fullest uh, extent, you're behind the eight ball and are not giving your citizens the full attention that is available to them. I think it was not long ago, though, like within the last decade, maybe you could even specify that this has come on the rise. And I think that in some cases, and Jeffrey, maybe you can speak to this. People at first were like, wait a minute, we're not sure what this means. Yeah, the, the borough of Chambersburg has um, has a growing commitment to the use of technology in many aspects of our municipal management, but no more so than in public safety. And that was a commitment that began over a decade ago when we first dipped our toe into the water of surveillance cameras in our downtown. Our downtown has always been relatively safe, but it unfortunately suffers from a reputation that it does not deserve of being a place that people would not want to go at any time. Um, statistics do not agree that there's any lack of safety in our downtown. But one of the ways we try to address the perception of safety in our downtown is we installed a very small, limited surveillance camera network focused on a couple of blocks of the downtown. It was very well received community. We, we ourselves were not sure at first how well the community would receive that. It was, it was found by the business owners downtown, as well as visitors, as well as the public officials that they saw a lot of support for cameras in public places. We had that, the conversation here in Chambersburg that a lot of communities have about privacy and what was the appropriate use of the cameras. It's very clear that we don't have people who sit watching cameras 24 hours a day. We couldn't afford those kinds of resources, even if we wanted to. But that's not what cameras are for. Cameras are to record. And we do have a complicated recording system that our IT department maintains. And over time, that small network of downtown cameras grew, first to encompass larger parts of the central core here in Chambersburg. But more recently, we've added cameras at over a couple of dozen intersections throughout the entire community, no longer just in the downtown. And those cameras have been invaluable both in the perception of safety, but also in the investigation when the police department needs to use them and they have access to the cameras and to the recordings. We do obviously have to deal with issues such as right to know, keeping the video stored, which costs money. And so those are things that you must accept as you enter into camera technology. But I think cameras as I say, I'm not sure it's the case in every community, 
But in Chambersburg, the cameras have been very well received. I know that the police department feels that they're very advantageous to the work that they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, Chief, if you could give some examples of maybe some turning points, I can think of just from my own experience, actually the fact that a crime could be committed and that these cameras were capturing. And do you play those back so that the public has some evidence of the what these cameras do? Or I'm just curious of how it has played out that you well, I, helped to give you I can give you an example. So I inherited the cameras. The cameras were here. If there's something that I will contribute to me and what I saw was they weren't being used to their full potential. None of the technology here was being used to its full potential. And I took and built the culture of the department around the technology so that we would use it to its fullest abilities. For instance, we developed some practices. We had a bank robbery here seven years ago. It's very rare. Again, bank downtown very rare occurrence. The officers and detectives knew somebody was going to those cameras right away and they could track the suspect digitally, watching them leave the downtown area and then get us into kind of a focused area so that we can conduct our search. One of our officers, this particular suspect, wound up getting changed and changing and dumping his clothes. Um, and one of our officers actually stopped him but he did not recognize him because he had changed his clothes and the face wasn't super clear on the cameras because he was covered up. But then we found his clothes and through more investigations, right, the cameras didn't solve the crime for us, but it gave us a huge jump in our ability to start conducting our investigation. And within, within two hours of that, we had caught the suspect. We had recovered money here in town. Uh, there they knew right away that somebody was going to go into the station if they weren't already at the station and start looking at all these cameras. All these officers have become, had a masters of being able to know exactly what cameras are where, what kind of viewpoints they have from these cameras, and they can manipulate them very quickly. So that's one thing that, so from years ago, that was something that showed that, hey, we're, we're using them to the best of our ability, and we were able to solve a bank robbery very quickly. And we use that with a lot of crimes that occur. We use these cameras to really jumpstart the investigation. And are there conversations with businesses? I would imagine you're collaborating. They're doing some filming of their own. So some cameras are privately yes. owned. So what we do, we have a camera registry. So we've advertised that. And what that does is the homeowner or the business can fill out a form, let us know where the camera's at, we're not looking at their, we're not looking at their data or their film. What we are looking at is the location. So again, we're talking about time and speed. We can go into our database, find out in this area, these are the cameras that have been registered and have disclosed their location to us. We can go to the homeowner or go to the business and ask them for their, for their camera footage. And then again, that'll help us move forward. Before, if you don't have that registry, um, and it's not 100%, but if you don't have that registry, you're knocking on a lot of doors looking for those cameras. And there are a ton of cameras now with the ring cameras of many homes have them. By us getting them into our registry, we're able to quickly find out in what area those cameras are and then go to the homeowners and see if their cameras 
picked up whatever kind of crime we were looking for. I'd like to ask maybe a more sensitive question, and it has to do with cameras that are on phones. And maybe, Jeffrey, to hear how does that impact the way you operate, just knowing that at any time people could basically be filming you? Sure. I don't think that the fact that we live in a society where people use their personal telephones to film municipal employees doing their jobs has changed much of what we do. I think we always approached our work in a very transparent way. We always conducted ourselves professionally, both in law enforcement and all the other departments of the borough, so that we were perfectly okay with the idea that we were going to be recorded on private video. So I don't know that changed much in terms of them looking at us and the way that we conduct things. I know that our municipal employees almost all carry borough-issued cell phones, and they do use those cell phones as a work tool, whether it be public works or law enforcement or the fire department. They are using their cell phones extensively as a tool, as you would any other tool that your employer gives you to help develop procedures and practices that improve your work quality. But I think in terms of the body wood camera project that the borough has undertaken, obviously the chief can speak to that, but we were very proud to have been able to come together with resources and find a way to add body-worn cameras to the Chambersburg Police Department. It's just like the surveillance camera system. It's a significant commitment of time and resources, as well as training for the officers. But everybody here philosophically believed that body-worn cameras were important to the process, and I'm glad that we were able to add that as a tool for the police department. So the chief can talk a little bit about how body-worn cameras are used in his department. Yes, Nancy, it's a great tool for us, a very popular tool. And really what it does is it shows an objective view, right? That we can't manipulate the cameras. You can't manipulate the film afterwards. We have all sorts of editing policies that we do. And the sergeants also are auditing calls and looking at different things from, from their point of view, as far as training the officers are concerned. But the great thing about these body cams is you have somebody complaining about whatever police service they were given and they have their story and the officer comes in and has their story. And then you have the camera telling that objective viewpoint. And that's really helped us as far as complaints are concerned, which are very small in number here to begin with. And they even dive down even more because we have this evidence, this objective evidence that we're able to, uh, to share and show in order to confirm that we're doing the right things at all times. If I could just add one final point. I think it's really important what the chief said about using body-worn cameras as quality control mechanism, both for training and for observation, that the officers and the department use that to provide constructive criticism, training, and ideas for the performance of officers in the field is something that is not often discussed as an advantage of having the body-worn cameras. And I really think that it's terrific at our department because we have police officers at all different stages of their career, right? We have young guys who are just starting out. We have seasoned professionals. We've got people like myself with gray hair. So I think it's important that um, we have a system by which the more senior officers who are doing are responsible for the training of the younger officers can actually watch them in the delivery of services to the community. And the cameras provide that opportunity. And that's not a negative thing. That's a very positive way 
that they can analyze the performance of young officers in the field and give them advice and give them constructive criticism. And that improves their performance the next time that they have to do something. So it's an excellent tool to improve the quality of police services. We have a remarkable department that has had very few citizen complaints to begin with before body-worn cameras, but it's also a great quality control tool to teach officers and to advise officers and to allow senior officers to watch them in action. So the fact that we use it that way really is another benefit of having the body-worn camera approach. Yeah. I think this leads somewhat into the other area that you talked about, the technology, and that's use of social media platforms. And I want to get to this education piece because this, again, coming from my citizen point of view, is sometimes the way police conduct their business is it's curious to me. I don't fully understand it. So now we have more all the time on the news. We see scenes. And sometimes it's just very difficult to grasp what is going on. And so if you could talk about the use of social media and just the way you've tried to address educating the public on police uh, operations. Sure. So I come from a police culture that was secretive. And at one point in time in my policing career, I was a lieutenant in charge of investigations, but that also made me the main public information officer for that particular department. And I realized that we were doing a really bad job of dealing with the media. We were super secretive. We weren't transparent and we were doing good work. And that information was not getting out there. So when I came here in 2016, I was able to infuse the department with the spirit of, of transparency. And I explained to the officers and I explained to the sergeants that were here at the time, why it was so important to be transparent and how transparency builds trust with the community. In some communities, they have robust newspapers, not many, but there are some that they can push out their information and the newspaper will pick it up. Unfortunately, here in Chambersburg, that is not the case. The newspaper, and I have nothing against them, they are just, they, their goals and their viewpoints are more on a national level than at the local level. So in essence, through our use of social media, I've become a newspaper editor and the department has become its own newspaper as far as pushing out information to the community. And nowadays people want to know, they, you're absolutely right. They want to know about what's going on. Th those phones, those iPhones, those computers that we have in our hands at all times nowadays, they give us access to an, a tremendous amount of information. And people are way more, more curious now than ever. And that's the cultural change, right? And generational change. So we take advantage of that by making sure that the community knows everything that we're doing. We're incredibly transparent, incredibly open. And I think it's important in order to build trust and in order to build confidence with our community that they know what we're doing. They know what's going on crime-wise. We can also alert them to areas that maybe there was an accident or a major police incident to avoid. We can do that very quickly. We can alert them to scams. We can also show some of the great things the department does, and we can show them the support we get from the community via the donations that we receive on almost a weekly basis. And it's very important for that to occur. And, uh, and for me, I even go further at the end of the year, 
I, we develop a transparency report and we push that out. And that again, even dives down even deeper as far as showing how many use of force reports and incidents we had, giving a little bit of a description of those, our complaints, I'm pushing that out, explaining our complaints, which aren't many and use of force aren't many either. I have nothing to hide and it's very freeing when you really take on an attitude and philosophy of transparency. And we've seen great, great achievements and great cooperation with the community by us being so open. Yes, Jeffrey, I know you're going to respond to this. I am thinking that the chief could not come in and embed this culture had it not been receptive. I've worked in communities where the council or the board are very concerned that the police do X, Y, Z. Make sure you do those traffic stops or whatever it is, fill in the blank. So going back to that beginning to create that culture in which a chief can thrive with this philosophy, you guys must have had some knowing like when you matched up that this was a good, this was a good place. I don't know if we knew it, but obviously the chief and I have collaborated from our different perspectives, as well mm-hmm. as town council. Ron has done a tremendous job since joining the borough of Chambersburg of bringing cultural improvements, not only to the police department, but the transparency has really helped the community overall. It's noticeable. And I think that you're right. There is tremendous support for the work that he's done here. And of course, it's because it's paid dividends already. And we can see that that community outreach and community participation is extremely important to this organization, whether it be law enforcement or emergency services or all the other things municipal government does. And we try to be transparent. So Chief Camacho has joined into what was a pre-existing philosophy of transparency as well as technology. I'd like to talk for a second about the use of social media. I think that the chief has talked about how the department has used social media as community outreach to get information out to the community, which is absolutely terrific. But there's another direction that social media works, which is that it keeps all of us communicating with the constituents of the community. We forget sometimes that social media is a two-way medium and get, we talk to people all the time through social media. I know that the police department has a tremendous relationship with people in the community. There are people who are law-abiding citizens. Businesses want to help keep our community safe. And I know that people reach out to the police department every single day through social media with thoughts, with ideas, with tips. And those are really that kind of openness to communicate and accept the assistance of the community is another tremendous benefit of having this robust social media presence that the Chambersburg Police Department has. So it's it's built a relationship, but that relationship is mutually beneficial between the Chambersburg Police Department community entirely. And I am I am always shocked and surprised and pleased about how quickly people in the community jump up to try to help us all in the performance of our jobs. They are civic minded. They care about this town. And they use social media in the positive ways. We hear so much about negative social media, but there's a really positive community interaction for social media. And I think the chief has tapped into that a lot as well. Nancy, if I can add one thing. So when I came here, I had to go through three separate interviews in order to get the job, plus an extensive background. So I believe 
that they knew who I was when I walked in through the door. And I was from South Central Pennsylvania. So my reputation preceded me. But a couple of things. One of our first meetings, Jeffrey said, I don't want to run the police department, which I loved because I love my autonomy. And that was a great thing for him. The mayor, who I work for directly, I had to go and take some time to educate him about policing and my role and what I'm doing and my ideas and what I see were the, uh, the gaps in the department and what were some of the great things that the department was doing when I came here. And by being open and Jeffrey seeing my successes and seeing the spirit of change that I brought here, he left me alone. And that same thing happened with those council members where I was able to build my trust with them, be responsive to them and address what issues they brought to me in a respectful and timely manner. And that's building that trust. They left me alone, basically supported me. Jeffrey's always been super supportive with that budget. And I think that's a recipe for success, but it, it takes two ways, right? That chief has to be competent and he has to be open and transparent and he has to share his philosophies and practices with the civilian bosses in whatever township or borough he's at, in addition to the politicians that are there that have stake in the community. And then the same politicians and civilian managers also need to, if they're seeing the chief is doing some stuff, put your ego aside and let them work. They're the professional there. And I think we've done that tremendously. I talk to peers from all over the state, all over the nation, and I mentor some police chiefs. And I don't have some of the issues that they tell me about. I don't have them. I've been blessed with just being given a ton of resources and been left alone. And as long as I'm producing and the department is operating at a high level, I'm given more resources. And I, that's a huge recipe for success that I don't see in many places across the nation. Yeah, those key words there about building trust really stand out. And I, I do want to drill down a little bit in terms of how we build trust. So I am sure you were tested when you came on board, and I'm sure you are still evolving in the sense of your legacy in Chambersburg. So I'd like to talk a little bit about, it's been a couple years now, Roland, but when we first started talking about community safety, you shared a story of hiring, and it might have been a Hispanic hire to talk with an immigrant population that was in the area. And it had to do with being able to bridge sort of the language barrier and the cultural barrier that those who are moving into the community might not understand the rules of the road, and particularly if they're not permanent residents. And, and I think at the other kinds of challenges that might have come up in those early days, any of that you can share that, that helps explain how you shaped that culture of trust in the community? Again, just being open and not only being open, but showing competency, showing that the department was able to solve the crimes that were there. They were also had the ability to prevent certain crimes. You could be as open as you want, but if you're not successful in solving crimes or preventing crimes, then that doesn't matter. You mm -hmm. could be the nicest guy in the world. And another philosophy that we brought in here was one of service. And it's funny, there are times where I talk about service and my officers are 
kind of the standard as far as customer service in this area. And we're police officers, right? That shouldn't be. There's other, uh, other departments and other places where they should be the highest level of customer service. And we found that if we're respectful and we're doing everything in our power to solve that person's problem, whatever that might be. And again, no crime is too small. It's a philosophy that we follow that that pays off dividends. If that community knows that we're going to try to help them to the best of our ability, we're going to treat them with respect, like we treat everybody, then that those same people will help us later on with giving us alerts to crimes and letting us know what's going on in their community and supporting us. And I think it's very important that they show their support to the department. And so that those officers that are working very hard every day, and especially in a culture, you know, a, na a national culture where it's not popular to be a police officer nowadays. And I can say in our little bubble here in Chambersburg, that's not the case. It's very positive and the people support those officers. And in, in that way, they support the community by doing a good job for them. Now, Jeffrey said that when you interviewed, he said, I don't want to run the police department. So what was happening? What was the change, Jeffrey? Did you have a situation where people were coming to you with concerns? And did they have concerns about the new chief? Who is this guy? He looks a little different. I don't know. I don't know. I think we're I brothers. from New York. Yeah, know. We're like brothers from a different bubble. Okay, there's a lot of similarities. No, I think it comes from years of experience where I have worked with a variety of police chiefs in different municipalities and gotten a sense of what works and what doesn't work. First of all, Chambersburg has a commitment to nonpartisan professional management, which not every community does. And I think that's extremely important because our, I'm only the third manager in the entire history of Chambersburg Borough. We have consistency in our professional management here, and that has made a tremendous difference because some places the leadership of the municipality changes all the time. And that's a very, that's very difficult for any staff. So the fact that I've been here for upwards of 14 years and that my predecessors, the two before me go back to 1965, that's a tremendous run of seasoned professional management for Chambersburg. But also it's the fact that our different elective councils, and we've, even the chief has been here through several changes in elected council and mayor, they come and go. And that's just part of the way politics work. D different councils different political parties in the majority, it's somewhat irrelevant because the way this municipality functions, we, we function like professionals and we can work with anybody and for anybody and we can address the concerns of any particular political issue that comes up. And that's different than what in other municipalities where it's a sort of a knee jerk or they swing like a pendulum. And that doesn't make for consistent professional management like we have here in Chambersburg, like we've always had here in Chambersburg. But I think back to your initial question, which is why did I say I, I don't want to run the police department? It's quite honestly, I don't want to run the police department. I don't think it's the run of the job of the manager to run the police department. I'm, I'm, my philosophy of management has always been to try to empower my direct reports and the chief isn't a direct report. But even if he, he was a direct report, I would empower them to take ownership to craft their departments in the way that they think are best. They are all professionals. And the chief clearly had knowledge and experience. He had a philosophy. There was no reason for me, certainly, to micromanage him. He isn't a direct reporter under our form of government. 
He reports to the mayor directly, which is fine. Um, and he has always maintained a very good relationship with whomever the elected mayor is. But I think we see it, I don't want to speak for the chief, I see it as a partnership, as collaboration. I am obviously heavily involved in the financial management of the police department. That's my main role in our relationship. I try to be transparent and we try to make sure we're always communicating. I'm in my world, he's in his world, but we try to keep open communication between us so that he understands where the finances are and what the priorities are and where the pressures are. He does the management of the operation and he is an expert at public safety and policing and managing his officers. And he doesn't need a manager like myself to come in and tell him to do that, that, that kind of work. I respect him. I respect his knowledge and he's been incredibly successful wherever he goes. So I think we have a very good partnership. I see it that way. We collaborate, we work together in our own tracks. We stay in our lanes, which is always a good thing. And we both have good relationships with our elected officials, which is extremely important. So as the mayor changes and the mayor has changed, we both try to maintain a good relationship with whomever the community chooses as their mayor, because they play a role in this as well as the liaison, as the elected liaison from the people. So I think that's a philosophical thing that we do well here in Chambersburg. Yeah. Yeah. Nancy, if I can add one thing and agree with everything that Jeffrey said, we haven't always agreed. There's been times where there's been some conflict and that's just life. That's the normal life. But I've always thought, and more importantly, I have always taught those lieutenants, inspectors, sergeants that were under me to have this mindset and this will give you some success. When I'm doing things and when I'm making decisions and when I'm thinking about strategies or anything, I'm thinking about what's best for the department. What is best for the department? Not what's best for Ron Camacho, not what's best for the sergeant, not what's best for a specific officer. What is best for the whole organization in total? And that's the way we make our decisions. And, and it's been very good. There have been times where, you know, you're going to get your feelings hurt or you're going to you're going to be a little miffed or annoyed about certain things, then you come right back. What is best for the department? And again, and I've written about this and I teach this, ego is what really hurts us at that executive level. And I'm talking about my fellow chiefs. I'm talking about police executives and I'm talking about, you know, managers and politicians. And if we could just get that ego and put it in a box, put it away learn how to manage that successfully, you would see a lot more organizations and townships and boroughs and cities become successful. Yeah. So how you do that, I think is a great question. And maybe we can get to that in a few minutes in the third question, but addressing that ego and being able to put that aside, because I know when I work in communities, oftentimes there, the tension I see is that the public says, we want the officers to do this. We want the, and so then the manager says, we really would like for the officers to help with this. I could think of examples, but one that just comes to my mind is the cars that won't move when they're supposed to do snow removal. Can the officers go out and go up to the doors and tell people to move their cars? Things like that, that I don't know what would be an example you'd have in your community, but what I would imagine that if it comes to it, that you two have enough of a relationship that you talk it through, and I don't know how you work it out. That's not the important point as much as that you do. 
Is that what you're describing? Am I in the ballpark there? hundred percent. So it's just one of mutual respect. I know his role. And just for an example, how, how successful would I be if all I did was have conflict with the borough manager, the man who controls the funds and the budgets? I wouldn't be successful if there was just constant conflict, constant disrespect. And in some places, that chief might have an ego so large that they feel like they can do whatever they want and they can say whatever they want and they'll burn those bridges. And then they're left with not being a priority because why should they, right? Because they, they haven't built these relationships. We respect each other. We respect each other's abilities. And we know that we're, both of our mindsets are what's best for, in Jeffrey's case, the borough overall. And then for me, what's best for the police department and the community we serve. And I think that's, I'm appreciative of, I say all the time how blessed I am. And again, when I talk to my peers, many of them do not have, they're not in my situation. And I try to help them. I try to talk to them about ways that they can try to improve themselves to get into those situations. But it's all about respect, putting your ego aside and maintaining those relationships to the best of your ability. Yeah. We talked a little bit about, you know, if you two were a dream team that were working, I think that's an important way to think about it. But when it comes to community safety, you both have to be invested and be able to work together to, to build that trust within the community. And you've touched on some really important issues that we did talk about in our earlier conversation before we recorded the podcast today. So I want to make sure we don't miss anything. I think this is an important piece. Where does it start? If you two were to go out and to work with a community and walk them through ways in which they could build trust within that community, perhaps they have a, let's just imagine they have a new manager and a new chief and the community is really in, a, in some disruption. So you're going to just give them your best advice in terms of moving towards a community where citizens and residents and businesses have a high sense of trust in their government. Jeffrey, start, and then we'll, we'll go back and forth here. So from the borough manager's point of view, township manager's point of view, I think the most important is to address some of the things we've talked about here, a culture of transparency in the entire organization. The last thing that you want is to have an organization where things are secretive or things are mysterious to the public or to the elected officials, it's much better to address problems that exist, whether it be financial problems or organizational problems head on and communicate with everybody about whatever the challenges are. Obviously, I've walked into organizations that had dysfunction, it happens in every manager's career, but you just address it. You address it head on and you talk about things and you talk about what's going on so that everybody understands what the challenge is addressing is they don't sweep dirt under the carpet. It's going to come back at some point. You actually have to deal with the problems that you inherit when you walk into an organization. I also believe very strongly in an ethical behavior. In as a manager, I ascribe to the ICMA code of ethics. That gives me a framework upon which I know that I can make decisions which are ethical and in the best interest of my community. Having that framework, having actually having a published document which guides my ethical behavior is extremely important because I can share that with others who have doubts I've had. People say, how do we know this? How do we know that? And then I show them that I'm a credentialed city manager. I take very seriously the role that I play in my career 
beyond my role that I play for my municipality. This is who I am. This is my career. This is my commitment. I believe in lifelong learning. I never believe that there's a point in my career where there are new things to learn, new skills that I need to adapt to. And I think that every manager needs to have that as part of their repertoire. And then I think we've already talked a little bit here about trusting people. You hire people because they're experts on particular subjects. You have to trust them. You have to give them the authority to be leaders and to grow in their position. Chief Camacho, it was easy. He was clearly a leader. It was easy to get to invest in him, my confidence, and he's done nothing but to show that to be a good investment. And that's the way that relationships grow, mutual respect, communication, transparency, ethics, and constantly learning about new ideas and ways to address things. So that's the kind of story. And I, just like the chief, I do consulting on the side. I brought that message to other municipal managers throughout Pennsylvania, throughout the country. And it's not that there's magic to it. In fact, this isn't magical. It's actually very down to basics. And if you can follow that recipe, if you can approach your elected officials and say, this is what's important, that we have an ethical and transparent and open government where a manager feels he, he is comfortable bringing issues of a common concern to the elected leaders, you get things done. Not always easy. There are challenges in municipal government, but you have to address it and you have to be, have that kind of personality where you don't hide or you're not shy or you don't try to make excuses. Those are all very counterproductive behaviors. And if I was giving advice to another municipal manager or somebody younger in the profession, that's what I would tell them to do. Be strong, be ethical, and be communicative, and be transparent. And go right out and address whatever the issues are. Win some, lose some ideas, fly, some ideas don't. But you have to be out there and you have to be working hard. And, and you have to develop partnerships like Chief Camacho has with myself. Yeah. Chief? For me, three words. If I was going to come in and mentor a chief in didn't matter what type of size of environment, training, culture, discipline. So officers need to be trained and they need to be trained at a high level. And that training needs to be the best available and fresh and evidence-based if possible. Scenario, realistic, so that the stress level is up there. This is something that in some parts of the country, we're doing very well and other parts of the country, we're not. It's embarrassing where the training budget of some municipalities is almost non-existent. And then they wonder why they get into trouble. They wonder what, when their officers are doing something that they shouldn't be doing and it's a training issue. So that's number one. Culture. We've already talked about culture to death here, but it's important for you to develop a culture of service a culture of competency and a culture of integrity, which I think is, a, is very important. And just making sure that everybody in that department is on the same page. And there's many different ways you can do that. I do that a lot by just constantly talking to my officers. And when we have successes that surround culture and them doing something positive that kind of reflects our culture, I'm pushing that out to everybody within the organization. I'm praising them to show that this is what success looks like in a modern police department. And then the last is discipline. I have found that there's in all, in all job professions, it doesn't matter where you're at, there's a lack of accountability amongst leaders and there's a lack of accountability amongst police officers. And I think it's incredibly important to 
make sure that your officers know where the standards are, where the expectations are. And when they make mistakes, we examine the mistakes, the punishment fits the crime, or maybe it's a training issue. But if they're disciplined and they go out and exude that discipline, they, that's a surefire way to get that community to respect them and also to welcome them into, into their neighborhoods in order to build that relationship. And that just means making sure that when we screw up, we accept it, we own it, and we do something about it. And, and just for too long, we haven't been doing that. And to me, that is a key component of success. What you're saying here is really interesting to me, and I want to make sure we bring this home, that community safety, it's what you do inside through your leadership actually reflects back out into the community. So it is a mirror. And I don't know that's real obvious, but when I began thinking about this topic in the community safety project that the chief knows about, I, one of the first thoughts I had was that over the years I had interviewed police departments. And what would happen? I'd be interviewing an officer and the, everything would be going fine. We'd be talking about job analysis and performance and different issues about their job. And then the interview would be over and they'd say one more thing. And they'd tell me something and they'd always say, I don't really want this to be part of your study. And you can imagine where that conversation would go. And I had this idea that there was inside the department a culture of fear. And so I know that what you're talking about, the transparency and the accountability is critical. And I want to make sure that we address how you see it impacting the community, that like when your officers go out and you say they're very well trained and that people respect them, I want to make sure that's not interpreted as they have fear, that there is actually something about the officers in being professionally trained that helps them feel safe. Yes. So again, police officers nowadays are asked to do so many different tasks. It, sometimes it could be incredibly overwhelming. From when I started in 1995 to what these officers are asked to do in 2023, there's a lot more on their plate than, than my plate back when I was a rookie officer. So we train them and we give them as many tools as they can fit into their toolbox so that when they deal with whatever type of situation they're dealing with on the street, they're competent and they're confident in their abilities. And they're able to solve to the best of their ability, whatever problem they're faced with the person reporting a crime or calling 911 and having us respond. And if they undertake that and they say, I'm going to do whatever I can to give some resolution to your issue, I think that community member appreciates that, especially if they've had prior police contacts somewhere outside of this area and they start comparing. Outside of Chambersburg, this particular officer blew me off. But here, our officers continuously go above and beyond. And that's just our philosophy. It's our standard. And they take the extra step and take the extra step and take your extra step. And that's appreciated by the community. So what does the community do? The community shows their support, right? They say, hey, I like that this guy took my missing cat and he took a report and he did a whole bunch of things to try to find my cat. And you know what? He found my cat. 
where in another municipality, maybe another an officer's not even going out to that. Yeah, maybe that's just right a, support. You yeah. definitely have me right there. And that's just something <laughs> common that we do. So that community member appreciates that. And then what do they do? They show their appreciation by donating, whether that's food or maybe money to the department. Maybe they just go and uh, they know about a crime that has occurred and we're asking the public for help and they give us information. They send in information about whatever crime occurred that we were looking for their inform information about. Or maybe they're just there supporting us and not against us, which is palatable in different communities, in different areas. Yeah. So if they're doing those three things and that community member supports them and shows them, hey, we appreciate you, then, you know, that officer has a sense of accomplishment and they have a sense of, hey, I'm doing the right thing. I'm actually making a difference. And their morale goes up, especially if it's recognized internally within the department. And one thing that I've said, wherever I'm teaching, happy cops make good cops. And if your cops are motivated and the morale is high within the department, they're going to push that out to the community. And then that community is going to give that back to the officers. And it's that big circle of safety that you're talking about, of respect, of trust. And that's how you go about doing that. If I could add one thing. Yeah. The support of the community is so important because it's expensive to operate a high-performing police department. It, we have to be honest. Taxes are necessary. At least in, in the way that we fund things in Pennsylvania, it's almost exclusively real estate taxes are important to provide for the correct training and equipment the right amount of staffing, vehicles, everything that goes into running a high-performing police department. But if you have a high-performing police department and they have that kind of relationship with the businesses and with the citizens in your community, they will actually support their taxes going to that effort. And that's one of the mistakes I think that's made in a lot of other communities. They, which is more, which is the chicken and which is the egg? Do you have the funding to provide the things necessary to have a high-performing police department? Or do you have a high-performing police department that therefore generates the support, the financial support to, to pay for that need? And I will say that it's extremely important for the leadership of the community to hear from citizens and businesses, we support our police department. We support them with our tax dollars. Nobody wants to pay taxes. Nobody likes taxes. But when your taxes are going to a police department that performs as well as the Chambersburg Police Department, there is a certain level of, of consent that the public gives you to pay those taxes to get this kind of output. So it's a circle. And I think it's extremely important both to recognize it, it, it takes a commitment, a financial commitment on the part of the elected officials, but also on the part of the citizens who are right. going to have to pay the cost of this operation. But when they see a department that cares, that communicates, that's in the community dealing with them on a daily basis on issues big and small, there's much less concern about what they're paying in taxes. What they want is they want to see return on their tax investment. And that's what we've given them here in Chambersburg. When we had, when the chief and I decided it was time to finance the construction 
of a brand new police station for the Chambersburg Police Department, which is a very expensive undertaking. First of all, we had tremendous support from the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, from our legislators who were able to provide very significant grant funding towards that project, which really, of course, we could not have done the project without their support of our legislators. But there was also a necessary tax increase to pay for that police department in addition to the grant funding. And when the chief and I went out into the community and we said, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to have a tax increase because the Chambersburg Police Department has, has reached the end of its useful life in its 1970s police station, and it's time for a 21st century police station in Chambersburg. Lo and behold, and I don't think, once again, I don't think it's a mystery, the community supported the initiative. They supported it by consenting to a tax increase. The elected officials consented to a tax increase because they saw that this police department was smart, it was well-managed, it cared about the community, it was wise with its use of resources, the police department has never wasted a penny that we've given them for something. And that they said this was a good investment of tax dollars. Let's bring a 21st century police station to Chambersburg. But that only happens when everything is firing on all cylinders. It right. takes that kind of commitment. Yeah. If you're speaking very much to the potential and you're speaking about engagement, and I want to go back a little bit to the to what you said earlier about the ego. I do think that there is something about taking the ego out that says, Jeffrey, you're not above going out there and just talking to people about this. Is, it's not like we need to raise money because we are lacking as much as we have this sort of unrealized potential that we know that the police department can help build in this community for our sense of safety. And also, Chief, in, in your perspective, that it's that your willingness is to be very much part of the communication process. This is not like your ego is not so big that somebody else needs to take care of the money because I'm just, I got this job to do and that Jeffrey should go out there and make sure that we get the money. No. And why I talk so much about ego is during my 28 years of policing, I can almost pinpoint all issues, most issues of discipline or resistance to anything, whether that's training, whether that's disciplinary matters to either self-esteem or ego. And I've worked very hard on my own and starting with me, I was a very arrogant young captain 10 years ago in my first police department. And I went to counseling and it changed my life that, and having some good mentors that kind of gave me some great advice, great guidance, and then a lot of internal looking within myself to change. I don't win the battle of ego every day, but I win it about 85% of the time. And I'm good with that. And now I go and when we're dealing with our officers or we're dealing with different people in the community, we're almost saying, hey, there's an ego we have to deal with. How do we go about dealing with that person? And if you're secure in who you are, you can maneuver those waters pretty well. And I'm very happy that I've been given that self-awareness and I worked at it and now I have it there and I push that out to my people and we discuss that a lot. And that makes the disciplinary process, the internal disciplinary process, a lot less combative or adversarial. Our philosophy here is we see that, how can we help you? How can we help you work past these self-esteem issues and egos issues as we move forward to build you into 
a great police officer, a great sergeant, a great detective, a great lieutenant, or a great leader. And one thing with culture that I didn't say before is I care about my guys. I care about them tremendously. I love them because they've bought into my philosophies, my crazy philosophies that seem to work. They trust me and I try to take care of them the best way I can by making sure that I'm the best chief possible for them. And I, there's respect there. So there's that internal respect and trust when I'm trying to implement like a new concept or a new program that they're going to give me the benefit of the doubt because I've built that over the last seven years with them. And they know that I care about them more than I care about myself. Again, it's about what's best for the department, what's best for the organization first over what's best for the individual. Yeah. Let's just say here that both of you are in positions that require ego, a lot of it. And I think what we're talking about here, correct me, it's not that you don't need it. You do need it to deal with the stress, the challenges, the scope. And yet you need to be able to check it. And I want to say empathy, that, that particularly in your role, Chief, that you have empathy because you know you've been there. You remember that ego getting you into trouble and causing you to resist. And so perhaps that makes you better at what you do because you are in touch with what that looks like inside of you and that you've been able to work through it. But am I wrong? That ego means that you have the confidence to really move forward on these crazy ideas. Well, I think, I think I look at stuff and I try to humble myself all the time. I'm very blessed. I've had a lot of different opportunities. The department is doing some incredible things that are very unique. And people realize that and they, they'll say, hey, chief, great job, great job, but it's not about me. It's making sure that gets spread amongst the officers who I'm very genuine with them. They know that I really care about them and I, I put them above myself. And when I do that, right, that servant leadership type of mentality, I see those blessings. I can, again, I'm not winning every battle with the ego, but a, a lot of times I can see myself, I can see that ego popping up. And then whether that's the next day or the next hour, reflecting on that and just doing that self-reflection and kind of problem solving. I talk to my wife extensively. She's like my own personal therapist when we walk our dogs and I bounce a lot of stuff off of her. And I also do with some, some high-level peers that I respect that have been there, mentors in my life. And you don't do this alone. I'm not leading alone. I need a team around me, a good team that I can trust and respect that can help me navigate the troubled waters that are being a police chief in today's day and age. I personally think it's the toughest time to be a police officer right now. Um, and I wouldn't have said that five or 10 years ago, but right now, this is the toughest time to be a police officer. We're seeing the problems with recruitment and in some organizations, retention, and yet we are doing some great things here and I'm just blessed and happy and I feel confident enough to be able to take these philosophies, write them, get them published, talk about them, present them and push them out to whoever wants to listen. If I could just add, Nancy. Yes, please. I think that modesty is an incredible tool for any leader in any position. The ability to be, to have self-reflection, 
to have empathy for everyone that you deal with. Yeah. I'm sure that we all have egos. We wouldn't be leaders in our organizations otherwise. But I think these other tools are extremely important. You have to be able to be, to have that self-reflection, to be able to be critical of oneself and learn from one's mistakes. We, everybody makes mistakes, but the trick is to acknowledge them, to learn from them. I think these are important traits that make anybody a good leader. I think a leader who doesn't have those tools is going to suffer greatly in their ability to be successful. So I think that I agree with the chief exactly that I myself believe very much in servant leadership. I think we talk about being public servants. We both think that's extremely important part of who we are, that we serve the public as a servant and that we are here to deliver outcomes that are for the general public. That's an important part of our personal view of oneself. And I think that humbles us tremendously, no matter what our position is. And I think that's extremely important. And you heard the chief talk about mental health. I think we both believe very strongly that you can't be a healthy person unless you have healthy mental health. We are both strong advocates, both for ourselves and for others, of exploring the role of mental health in an organization. I think that we both worked hard with our staffs to be open to the idea of mental health treatment. I think that it's a positive thing for any organization. It builds a tremendous skills, which you use in the workplace. And I think that openness to exploring how to make us better human beings, healthier human beings, actually pays dividends in our, the performance of our job. And so I know that we both shared, whether it's formal mental health and you're seeing therapists, which is perfectly great, or it's walking your dogs at night, which is also perfectly great. It's just whatever works for you. Everybody needs a work-life balance. Police officers definitely need work-life balance. We hear stories of police officers taking their work home, which is very difficult for themselves and their families. And I think it's important that we all come at this as healthy individuals with healthy lifestyles so that we can address ourselves and become better leaders that way. And I know that the chief and I both agree on that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that this is, it may seem to some a stretch, but I believe it is absolutely the kernel of truth that just is, in the end, we are better as a community when our leaders within the community are healthy. And so mm -hmm. I think talking about it and having some of these difficult conversations, I think Chief was alluding to that earlier, that having to have conversations inside the department or having conversations between you two, that's not easy. And I just want to say the ego, whole point about ego is in part when you have a healthy ego, you can have those difficult conversations. And when you have a healthy ego, you're going to accept some criticism that maybe you didn't want to hear, or you're able to engage in the community without having your defenses come up. So you know from your own experience that this is what your leaders that were, are under you, like they also need this, that they need that same support and encouragement to be healthy. And I, I think this is the first of the conversations in community safety, although I also had one with, as I said, with Chief Steffens in Northern Lancaster. We didn't go as much into to the psychological safety, but I do have some other conversations in preparation for recording that have touched on this. And I just, I think it, it is so wonderful in Chambersburg that you can see the whole picture, the way it can all come together and really be a success. So I think there's so much to, to learn from both of you. 
And I'm wondering if there's anything that, that you wanted to talk about today that we missed because we were moving through. I don't want to lose an opportunity to pick up on one of your insights. There's so much we talked about in our prep call. I think uh, the one thing that uh, we've touched upon it, but I think it's important we're still dealing with the stigma of mental health, especially police officers deal with it all the time with how much we're interacting with people that are in mental crisis, um, making sure that our officers are incredibly trained in that and where all the officers here are CIT trained. I believe in that, that program a hundred percent. We've gone even a step further by having a mental health co-responder that Jeffrey was kind enough to see and wow. be forward thinking and say, Hey, I think that's a good idea for the department to have one of those people within the department. And we've, we have that we're ahead of the game with that. But again, with the internal stuff, I removed the stigma of mental health by I'll talk to anybody and I talk to my officers. It doesn't matter if you're the youngest rookie or my most senior inspector, I will tell them about my journey with counseling and how it changed my life and how mentorship changed my life. And now we're moving forward. And the department, I think the stigma of that is removed. A lot of the officers here have taken advantage of going to see a psychologist, whether it was on their own or suggested by us. And the more of them that have gone to do that, and we've seen positive results from that, the more the stigma is removed and where they can help others because they can see the value of that helping them. I think that's incredibly important. We had the Sopranos for, I don't know how many years. To me, we should never have that stigma again, but it still exists. And we got to still work on that. And we got to be honest with ourselves that we need, if we need help, there should be no shame in going to get that help. And as long as I'm alive, I will share that story on how counseling changed my life. So. That is a powerful testimony, really, Roland. I can't think of a more powerful testimony to be out there. And I really hope you're, you are doing this as part of your writing as well, some of your training and development. Now, that reference to the Sopranos, <laughs> is that, are you referencing the, the fact that he went and got counseling? That was a powerful message because I loved that part of the show. Yeah, just, it was a popular TV show and it just showed the inner workings of a psychologist or a psychiatrist, I forget yeah. which one Melfi was with this mob boss. And to me, if Tony Soprano can go see a, a therapist, then anybody can go see a therapist. And that show, if it did one thing besides entertain, was remove some of the stigma from that. And what I preach here and what the people that have gone to the psychologist here, what they come back and preach is it's helped. It's helped. And even when I go and teach or present or mentor or coach, I'm preaching that if that comes up. Yes, there are professionals out there that can help you. And let me show you how they help me. And it's funny now that there's pre-counseling Camacho and there's post-counseling Camacho. And it, like just this week, some of my officers were at a training and they're at a training with some of the officers from my first department. And I'm like, go ask them about me. Then uh, that was pre-Camacho, pre-counseling Camacho and talk to them and see what type of person I was back then. It's almost like I'm embarrassed about how angry I was all the time, how confrontational, how egotistical I was, how my self-esteem 
was so low. Well, a couple of, uh, about a year ago, I was almost 300 pounds and my self-esteem at that point in time was probably the highest it's ever been, even though I was at the heaviest of my life. So that shows you the power of the brain and the power of the power of self-esteem. Yeah. So like I said, removing that stigma is incredibly important. I preach it. My officers preach it. And our mental health co-responder that's in here, uh, she's there and she helps the officers too. And that we didn't even know that was going to be a part of that program. We thought that program was just going to be out there to help the different people that we deal with that are in mental health crisis. But she's been a game changer internally to listen to issues and help the officers. Yeah. Jeffrey, I want to say to you that it's just, it's really wonderful to mm -hmm. have this conversation with both of you and to have you as a manager, just have a, your own insight into the importance of mental health, that you're able to support the police department in this way. And you're able to have these conversations. So it's a lifelong journey. Is there anything else that, that you want to just add before we close today? I just, we skipped over it. So it doesn't really belong to this point in the conversation, but it's something I'm very proud of. Chambersburg Police Department is probably one of the most highly educated police departments that I've ever known. And I think this is an important quality. It's yes. both a commitment on behalf of the borough to fund their education, but also a commitment by them to become better police officers. It also raises the, it's part of retention because studies show that people are more likely to stay in job when their employers support their personal growth and their education. And we've made a commitment here. It's a financial commitment that we want our police officers to go on to higher education. And the Chambersburg Police Department has done that in a spectacular way where we have a lot of police officers going for higher degrees at the expense of the borough. And I think it just makes them smarter and better police officers. And I'm sure the chief would like Yeah, we, I just want to say, just this goes to the point of differentiating a little bit training and education. You made that yeah. point again in our earlier. We want to say something about that, Chief. Yeah, the national average for bachelors. And again, a bachelor is not required to be an officer here at the Chambersburg Police Department. But the national average is about 30% with police departments across the United States. About 70% of our officers have bachelors. Master's degrees, that's about 5 to 8% nationwide of officers that have master's degrees within their department. And our department, we're at hovering around, I think, anywhere from 18 to 20% of our officers have master's degrees. And right now, there's at least three that are in the pipeline to get their master's. If I can be a little egotistical here, yes, uh, yes, yesterday, I just defended my doctoral portfolio, my doctoral research portfolio. And next week I will be officially Dr. Ron Camacho. Oh so, my goodness. So okay. again, that just shows I'm leading by example and just showing how important education is to policing. It, it reduces proven, this is peer reviewed articles, proven research reduces use of force incidents, reduces complaints, officer complaints. And also it's proven that officers with degrees have better critical thinking skills attached to them. And again, that's one of those reasons why our use of force incidents are so low, our, our complaints are so low. And again, I want to thank Jeffrey because they have allowed this to occur. They have been very 
helpful and generous. Not a lot of places can do this. If you come here to the Chambersburg Police Department and you wanted to get a degree in criminal justice, they will pay 100%. And we're going to use that in our recruitment. And like he said, it's already helping us with retention. And there are people here going for their master's that probably never would have thought about going for their master's three, four, five years ago. And just because there's this scholarly aroma, now that's not the right word, just this air of scholarship and academia around this department where these guys can talk to each other about different things and understand some of those principles. They, it's that positive peer pressure that's getting other officers to commit to their education. And again, it's paying off great dividends couldn't be done without the generosity and support of, of the borough and Jeffrey. And, and this is what we're talking about, having this good, um, respectful, supportive relationship between the organizations. I could tell you I'm inspired. And I don't think we could end on a higher note. I really, I want to see that dissertation, if you don't mind. I hope you'll share that at some point. And that might be another podcast episode at some point. So I really just appreciate you all coming on today. It has been a pleasure and it's always enriching to, to learn how you work there and to have you both together on this episode has been great. So I appreciate it. And we'll get this out probably in the next week, two weeks, something like that. But it's again, May's our community safety series. So I'm going to let you go and thank you so much. Thank you, Nancy, for having us on and thinking so much of us to have us on your podcast. I think it's, I'm honored. Well, thank you, Nancy. This has been a terrific experience and we love sharing. We love mm -hmm. sharing our community and we love talking about the great things that happened here in Chambersburg. Yeah, I'm glad we could do it. So I wish you all the best and we'll be in touch again soon. I'm sure I'll be talking to you. Thanks Perfect. so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.